Hear now God's word, for he is indeed speaking to us through even this greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for this beautiful letter of Ephesians that we get to study, and we pray that you would be with us through the whole study, but particularly this morning. Would you open our eyes and open our ears and our hearts to receive your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, kids, if you were to receive a letter these days in the mail, you probably wouldn't think too much about the greeting that you receive, the greeting in the, the, the mail. Our form of mail uh, isn't that exciting when it comes to the greeting. If you look at the top of the, the letter, you might see some address, either the recipient or the sender, uh, but you might see a date, the date of the, the letter. And then you'd see some kind of generic greeting, dear mom, to whom it may concern, dear sir or madam. And if you wanted to know who the letter was from, Unless you had recognized the address on the envelope, you probably have to go all the way to the bottom of the, the letter to see sincerely or love or whatever it is, and then the sender of that letter. Well, the Apostle Paul uses a form that was common in his day. Uh, it's much more compact where you could see all in the very greeting um, who it was from, who it was to, and some greeting or some charge. Uh, and you, as we look at this passage, the, the outline is very simple. It's very obvious. It's simply, from Paul to the saints, blessings from God. From Paul to the saints, blessings from God. But the Apostle Paul also has a tendency to do something in his greetings, which unless you compare them side by side, you don't really notice. And that is he tends to hint at the theme of his letter, even in the, the uh, greeting that he gives. And that theme that he, he has buried in this greeting is simply this, is that Christians are holy and faithful in Christ. Christians are holy and faithful in Christ. So Paul begins the letter with just a standard greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he starts off by saying, Paul is an apostle. So that term apostle, the word apostle, generically means one who is sent. They are sent by someone on some kind of journey, some kind of task. Um, so Paul is sent by someone. And he clarifies, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So immediately what Paul is cluing us into is that Paul recognizes that he has been sent by Christ Jesus himself for this particular task, um, to, to send this letter. Now, he is putting himself on par with the 12 apostles. And if you've been paying attention in our study in Acts or you've read through the book of Acts, you know that Christ Jesus called his 12 disciples and, or, and he, he commissioned them as apostles to carry forward his word, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be endowed with his power. They were his emissaries, his ambassadors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the Apostle Paul is putting himself in that category. He's saying he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, he wasn't one of the 12. In 1 Corinthians, he says that he was one that was untimely born, not according to the ordinary calling of the apostles. But he's still an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he is sent by the Lord Jesus. He is commissioned by the Lord Jesus. And he's called by the Lord Jesus. But he's also an apostle of Christ Jesus in that he sees himself as God's servant, as Christ's servant. If you were to read through the other epistles that he's written, many of them, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He, he, he's an apostle who belongs to the Lord Jesus. He is Christ Jesus is through and through. He's on a mission from Christ Jesus, but he's also empowered with the authority of Christ Jesus. And then he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So it's not as though Christ Jesus has commissioned him apart from the will of God. God and Jesus have worked in concert. This is a part of God's eternal plan that Paul would be an apostle to bring forth this message to his people. Why in the world does this matter? Why, why would he even start this way? Or why would it matter to us? And what we ought to understand is that this message that Paul is delivering is, he sees himself as breathing out very, Christ's very message for the Ephesian people. Just as Moses spoke with God and then Moses brought the law to the Israelites. So Paul is now seeing this as in that same way. He is bringing God's word to the Ephesians, and eventually to us, that we have now God's spoken word that God himself is speaking to us through this word. It is uh, authoritative. It is by the will of God. Everything about Paul, everything that he's doing, is according to the will of God by the commission of Christ Jesus with his authority. So Paul, it's from Paul, and then it says, to the saints, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this sentence doesn't seem like a whole lot. It, uh, it, it just seems fairly basic, almost like he's just writing on there, of, you know, send it to the saints at Ephesus. But this sentence, friends, is kind of like an unused firework. It doesn't look like much, but once you understand its full purpose, it is brilliant and bright and beautiful in all of its display. Uh, the the 20th century preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that in this sentence, in this very brief sentence, is the irreducible minimum of what it means to be a Christian. The irreducible minimum of what it means to be a Christian. And he says three things. He says that a Christian is holy, a Christian is faithful, and a Christian is in Christ. In Christ. So he starts off and he says, to the saints. So our word says saints, but in the Greek, it essentially is to the holy ones. We translate holy ones into saints. And so he's saying that this letter is going to those who are holy. A Christian is holy. Um, and holiness is an important concept throughout Scripture. Um, and it means different things. So we have to be careful of how we parse through this. 
Holiness, to a certain extent, means set apart. Yeah. So a Christian is set apart by God out of, in the midst of the world, God has setting Christians apart as holy. So if, just as for the Lord's Supper, we have certain things that we have set apart as holy, that we are using as a distinct uh, elements. Um, the worship space, we set apart as holy when we gather for worship. Um, it's not no longer common, but is now set apart for holiness. Um, and it's that holiness is uh, not simply set apart, but it is set apart to be uh, pure, to be set aside for God. And to be in God's presence, to be with God, we have to be holy because God himself is holy. He is it's the one characteristic of God that we see in Scripture that is de- defined three times, that he is holy, holy, holy. And so to be in God's presence, to be reconciled to him, to be able to dwell with him, we have to be holy. And that's talking about not just set apart, but also set apart and purified. And so there is an aspect that those who are in Christ, those who are believers of the Lord Jesus, are holy. He, he says that they are holy. Now, you might not feel holy. You may have, uh, you may be very well aware that your words are not that holy. Uh, you are probably aware of thoughts or intentions in your heart that are not holy, and you maybe even have done things in your life that are clearly not marked, the marks of holiness. And this is where we need to distinguish between two different things. There is one thing to be set apart and declared holy. There is another thing to be perfectly holy. And there is a progress of holiness, of being made holy over the course of our lives. That must and will happen if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that term sanctification, because the term sanctification comes from the word for holiness. We are made holy over the course of our life, or more to the point, we would use the term progressive sanctification, because we are progressively made holy over the course of our lives. And so, while you might not feel holy, you are declared holy as one of God's people, and that's important. You have been declared holy. You can dwell in God's presence. He has fellowship with you because you are holy. But at the same time, he is making you holy. He is purifying you over the course of your life. But notice Paul doesn't say to those who will be holy or to those who are being made holy. He says to the saints, to those who are holy. So you are holy in Christ Jesus if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus. Now, we get tripped up by the word saints because there are many, um, or there are some traditions that view sainthood as something that you earn as a result of uh, a good life. But friends, Paul does not see that as true at all. Believers, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are declared to be holy, are declared to be saints, There is nothing that you can do to earn this. This has been earned by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are holy in him. You don't have to work to earn some badge of honor like you are a saint. You are holy in Christ Jesus. So a 
Christian is holy, but a Christian is also faithful. It says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now that word that is used for faithful is similar to the word for faith or to believe. There are some commentators who believe that the right way to translate this would be to say uh, to the, the ones who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is certainly true. Christians are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most basic definition of what it means to be a Christian, that we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But faithful is the, the, right, um, the right word here. Because faithfulness has the connotation that it's not simply a belief in, but a working out of that faith in the course of our lives. So when we talk about faith, we talk about three different aspects of faith. There is an intellectual aspect to faith. Does the thing that is asserted, does it make sense to me? Do I, do I understand how it works and does it seem reasonable to me? There's the intellectual aspect. Then there's the emotional aspect, which is, okay, do I, do I have a comprehension of that enough that I have confidence that that is true, where I am willing to assent to that as a, a truth that I'm willing to live by. But then the third aspect is one that we trip up on, and that is the volitional aspect. Volitional uh, as in the way that we live. If we believe it with our head and are convinced of it, does it, how do we live in accordance with it? Are we, do we live as though we really believe it? as uh, we say that we do. And I'll give you an example. This is my favorite example, is, is a parachute. You might uh, understand um, the mechanics of a parachute. You might understand the physics of how parachutes are supposed to work, and you understand that it's been packed in a, in a chute that you're going to have on your bag. You might understand the ripcord and how you're, you know, the, the, the whole process of jumping out and then waiting to a certain elevation, pulling the cord, and then it's going to open. That, you understand it. That's the intellectual aspect. It makes sense to you. And then you might say, well, I have confidence that it's actually going to work because I've seen other people do it. I, I, I know that the, it's not just theory, but it's actually, it actually works out. You know, Many people have jumped out of airplanes. They've landed safely. But then there's the volitional aspect. You might say that you understand it. You might have confidence in parachutes, but it's one thing to be able to jump or fall out of a perfectly good airplane while in flight. That is the volitional aspect of faith. And that's what a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is, one who is faithful, is one who has not just intellectual or confidence, but volitional faithfulness. They are living out as though these truths that have been declared to them are so true, they can walk in accordance with it. They can jump out of the airplane in faith because they know that the Lord Jesus will be faithful to his promises. And so um, a believer is holy and faithful. And notice that with each of these characteristics, there is a definitive starting point but there's also a progressive working out point. Um, we are declared holy in Jesus Christ, but we are also made holy. We grow in grace over the course of our lives, and we don't reach 
holiness to the extent that we need to until we are glorified in God's presence. The same thing with faith and faithfulness. We come to faith and we cling to Christ by faith, but over the course of our lives, we are constantly growing in that faith. We're, we're understanding God's promises more and more, his, his truth to us, and we are walking in accordance with it. We're identifying aspects of our life where we are not living by faith, where we're denying the promises of God. And, but and by God's Spirit, he is working those things out in us. And so Paul actually in this letter, like I just mentioned, um, in the book of Ephesians, he kind of structures the whole book in this way. There is the definitive element of what has been done by God in our lives. And that's what we see largely in the first three chapters. And then there is the working out how we live, how we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in the last three verses. So Paul beautifully and masterfully splits the book in that particular way. But there's the third element which we cannot miss is that while we're holy and we're faithful, we are holy and faithful in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In fact, for the Apostle Paul, in Christ is a, synonymous with being a Christian. In Christ is synonymous with being a Christian. And if you want a, a task for this Lord's Day, go back and reread Ephesians chapter 1 and look at all the times that Paul says, in Christ, through Christ, in the Beloved. It's everywhere. This is a pervasive theme for the Apostle Paul. Because our holiness, we are holy only in Christ. Our holiness comes not from some, you know, coming to faith and then God just, you know, slams us with holiness and we are now holy. We are holy because we are united to Christ in faith. When we come to faith, the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ and we are participants of His holiness. We are holy because He is holy. He is the Holy One of God. And our whole sanctification of becoming holy, we say, uh, the biblical writers talk about becoming like Christ, be growing in Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit is making us like the Holy Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His Holy Spirit working in us. It's only through that union that we have in Christ. The same thing with faith. When we come to faith, our object is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not just believing some abstract belief. We are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believing those promises that his death and resurrection was for us. So our faith is in Christ, but also our faithfulness is in Christ as we are united to him and are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is in Christ. Um, but there's one other thing that is easy for us to overlook. I mean, the book is called Ephesians, and we skip over that part that says, in Ephesus. So a, a believer is holy and faithful in Christ, but they're also in Ephesus. We, as Christians, are in the United States. We are in Texas. These recipients were in Ephesus. A Christian is located in two places at the same time. We are located in Ephesus, and we are located in Christ. 
why that matters is because we have been called out of the world. We have been uh, set apart in the world, but we've been left in the world to live in, in the midst of it, to be his ambassadors, his emissaries. Uh, we are to bear witness to his name. But what that means is that we are going to live with a perpetual conflict all the days of our lives. Holiness, being called out and set apart, innately means that we are set aside from the common. And there, and while he has also set us and made us holy, he has also set enmity between us and the world. For us to live with faithfulness means that we are living in the midst of faithlessness. And so, while we live in Christ, but also in Ephesus, we have this constant conflict. And this is part of God's perfect, eternal plan that he has set forth, where he has chosen to call us out, but leave us in. And he's, call, he's, he's called us to be holy and set apart and faithful, while at the same time, leaving the conflict in place, so that our faith would grow in the midst of the conflict. He, Ephesians, if you want to summarize the story, it's that by God's, uh, by God's power and eternal plan, He has called us to be His self, or to, to be His very own. But we will be faced with conflict from within and from without, from the authorities, the rulers of this dark world, and there will be eternal conflict or conflict while we are on this earth. And yet, God is faithful to His promises to secure us in Christ. To the very end, he secures us in Christ. He perseveres us according to his good, pleasing, and perfect plan. And so we are, our hope can never be in Ephesus, cannot be in the United States, in Texas. Nothing about our existence here can be our hope because it is fading away. But our hope is in Christ, in that better country that we are destined for, even while we struggle through the midst of this life. Um, so it's not all roses. It's going to be a conflict, but God is uh, faithful. He promises to guard us safely because we are in Christ. But this whole notion of in Christ, friends, we, I, I don't think I can exaggerate how important this is for us. And yet it's so easy for us to overlook. We, I think we flee from this, this great doctrine, this great truth, with all of our being, because we want so bad for to be holy because of something within us. We, we so bad want to be declared to be a saint because of something that we have done, rather than to just ride on the coattails of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to be found faithful because of our goodness or our righteousness or something like that. But we're, we're just not that good enough. We're just not that pretty enough. We're not that smart enough. There's, there's nothing that we can do. All of the good things that we do are like pennies from a piggy bank trying to pay off an eternal debt. There's nothing that we can do. And yet God has lavished on us this gift, the riches of eternal, of eternal riches in Jesus Christ. He has given to us. And it's ours simply by clinging to him. It's, it's a wonderful gift and yet, for some reason, it is so hard for us to cling to. In Christ, he accepts us, he adores us, he secures us, and he gives us real hope. 
This is, comes only in Christ. Why would we ever want to flee from that? Why would we ever reject that? So he moves on from, this is from Paul to the saints. He ends with this blessing, which we have heard many times. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this doesn't seem, again, like much to us, but if you were uh, one of the original recipients of this letter, this might strike you as a bit odd. Because they would tend to send the letters, they would say, he ordinarily would have said, from Paul to the saints, and then something like, rejoice, or hail. Uh, and he would use a particular word, which sounds very similar to grace, but it's not grace. And Paul, what he does is he takes the usual greeting and he turns it on its head with a little play on words to use his apostolic authority to, instead of a generic greeting, to make it a blessing from God himself. A blessing from God himself. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a preeminent scholar of God's word. And so no doubt what was going on in Paul's head when he did this was the great blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking that great blessing and making it fit for Christians who know of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's proclaiming to you God's grace, God's peace. Those are yours. God God extends that to you. Just as God commanded that the sons of Aaron proclaim that blessing to his people to say, yes, you receive my grace and you receive my peace. So Paul carries that forward and says, grace to you and peace. We can't overlook even that wonderful thing. There's nothing greater than God's grace. And our hearts long for that peace. And that peace is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, our hearts long for these things. Our hearts long for God's grace to us, for his peace, his eternal peace, his eternal shalom was the Hebrew word. And those things are treasures that are ours in Jesus Christ. So thanks be to God that he gives us all the treasures of his gifts in the person of Jesus Christ. They are yours in and through and for the glory of Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray together.